morning crypto good morning warriors hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel good morning crypto where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto related topics from a top crypto research team in the world I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto. And today we got a very special guest, a renowned educator in the XRP community and the founder of XRP Las Vegas, Brad Kimes, aka Digital Perspectives, is in the building. So I'm very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how the state of American regulation is finally reaching a breaking point with a new video of Gary Gensler showing he believes over 75% of existing projects in 2018 did not qualify as a security. USDC is filing for a license in Europe after claiming U.S. policy is forcing crypto businesses overseas, while Fidelity and BlackRock continue to expand their crypto influence, potentially bringing trillions in tokenized assets over the next eight years. Stellar has launched the first U.S. money market mutual fund on a public blockchain, and with the World Economic Forum partnering with Ripple to birth a carbon-neutral economy, we break down the details, showing our community how trillion-dollar institutions are creating the greatest opportunity of our era. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Johnny Crypto, we have a ton of news for today. But first, how you feeling, my friend? And thank you for being here. Abs, I'm always feeling great. It's a beautiful day, and I love Wednesdays because we got a very special guest on, and this special guest is special to me because whenever I see him and when I hear that voice, it reminds me of when I first got into crypto, and boy, back then it was great times. Things were great, and I just want to hear it. I, every time I hear his voice, I just want to hear roll that beautiful intro, but I do want to say to Brad, it's great to be here with you today, buddy. I am super excited, and Abs, what Brad is doing in this space is groundbreaking. Kudos to him. We're going to talk more about it later today, but Brad, I love you, and good morning. Welcome to the show. Absolutely, Brad. Always happy to have you on the program and can't thank you enough. But first of all, let's get it started by reminding people what's going on on May 5th and May 6th, just next week. The highly anticipated XRP Las Vegas is going on. And I'm going to be fortunate enough to not only be at the event, but I'll be lucky enough to be on stage there. So I want to thank you for that opportunity, Brad. First of all, how you feeling and, and what's on your mind? Well, look, I feel great. And I want to say thank you, Johnny, you know, abs. Thank you guys for the incredible intro. I feel the same about you guys, you know, over the past few weeks, couple months, we've gotten to really know one another a lot better. And that has been really remarkable in itself. And that's the beauty of doing things right. You know, uh, look, I tell people, you know, I, I'm operating in the service of others and that's what's driven the private group that I have. And that's what's driven that to become uh, XRP Las Vegas out of that. And uh, John Deaton, I think, said it best. You know, there's not any community out here, a group of people, and I'm paraphrasing, that can do it any better or deserves, excuse me, deserves any better recognition than the XRP community. And, and we really do. Right. I mean, we've been through so much. And it's uh, it's time, right? It's time for us to celebrate. And I know we're all waiting for a, a ruling in the SEC versus Ripple case over XRP and what it is or what it isn't, certainly the secondary market sales. But listen, we're days away, weeks at, mo at best, they say. So I'm, I, I couldn't be more excited. And we're going to celebrate one way or another out here with the XRP community and the ecosystem and what's going on. 
Absolutely, Brad. And we're going to talk about it today as many of the members of the Ethereum Alliance who were once critical of the XRP community are now coming out to support us against the SEC. But we're going to talk about it after we start the show the same way we always do by showing you our Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That's at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Go smash that follow button. We love talking to you. Johnny Crypto, the Bitcoin Fear and Greed Index is up three basis points this morning from a 53 to a 56. And for good reason, as we got massive green bubbles across the board, Render is up nearly 32%, XRD 29, and IMJ up 29% on the day. When we check out the total coin market cap this morning, we're finally getting some massive bullish candles. And it's on the back of this U.S. banking collapses. We are seeing United States banks need government bailouts nearly every week. Well, Bitcoin is sitting at 29,700. Ethereum, 1,900. XRP is 48 cents. Cardano is 41. Avalanche, $18. Hedera is 6 cents. And Quant Network is sitting at 114. And Johnny Crypto, I'm kicking it right back to you before we dive into our stories today. The main thing everyone is talking about in the mainstream news, besides Tucker Carlson being fired, is the fact that this week, $100 billion in deposits left the First Republic Bank, and that is a record for the banking industry. Many people who have decades in this industry or, or with banking experience are flustered by how quickly American citizens are showing up to take their monies out of the bank. So I'd love to start there. What does it mean to you, Johnny? $100 billion worth of deposits exited First Republic Bank in March. Now we have the U.S. government coming in to save the day. Yeah, I mean, this is the problem when the public loses confidence in the banking system. The whole entire banking system is built on faith, right? You understand that. You know the way this works. Uh, fiat currency is just a it just it's a piece of paper. I give it to Brad. Brad's willing to accept it, and and that's why it works, right? And the day Brad is no longer willing to accept it, or somebody's not, then that's when the system breaks. And it, the first signs of that is when people are feeling, you know, where did people take that that fiat and put it? They put it in the bank because because why? Because it's a safe place. It's something they can trust. It's something they feel good about. Well, when people are making runs on the banks, that's not a good sign for the financial system as a whole. And so we've seen too many failures, one after the other. And so right now, the question is, what are people doing? So right now, they're taking it out. And what that means is now those banks can't lend because we know how the fractional system works. They take your money and lend it out. You know, 98% of it gets relent. So that takes liquidity out of the market. So that's a double whammy. You already got the Fed taking liquidity out of the market. Now you got bank runs that's going to make less loaning. So it's just we're headed for some tough times. But, you know, like I like to say, Abs, if we look for the silver lining, I think there's some things that are happening in the long run. As, you know, when you have a problem, usually there'll be a solution. We know what they're looking at for a solution. But I think one of the things is there's opportunities there, opportunities for people who know where to invest and how to invest in the rails of the new system could be a great opportunity. And as coach says, that's why it could be the best time to live in human history, because we have an opportunity that you only get maybe once in a lifetime. Brad, and before we get into many of our crypto content and crypto related articles for today, we got 320 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And somebody said there's a ripple court case today in California where another judge will be deciding if it's a security or not. 1.30 p.m. Everyone tune in. So just a quick reminder. But Brad, I did want to get your take before we get into the crypto articles. The banking system in the United States is at a point. It This has been talked about since the 1980s. When the globe begins to de-dollarize, that could be the end of American dominance when it comes to not only our dollar dominization, but government policy around the world. And we have billionaires now betting on the U.S. dollar collapsing as billionaire hedge fund manager Stanley Drunkenmiller has officially shorted the U.S. dollar and announced that to the Financial Times this morning. So 
Broadly, overall, I'd love to get your opinion. What do you think we're witnessing here with these banking, with the banking collapse? And how do you feel about the United States government coming in to save the industry? Well, I, I think, you know, first of all, I think that the first thing I'm seeing is, is that how hard does this go? Right. I mean, I, I think one of the big questions is, is it, it, I don't think it's a, a, a mystery anymore that the de-dollarization campaign globally is official. Right. Like cut the ribbon on that. You know, that is happening. And, you know, whether we're talking about Saudi Arabia and the memorandum of understanding they have with the BRICS coalition to the tune of 15 billion dollars, which, you know, for people who don't understand business, an MOU means if our little deal we do works out and you do what you do and I do what I do and we both complete it, we're going to do business together. Right. So that means Saudi Arabia absolutely has the intentions to join BRICS. So if that goes well, that's where that'll go. What's important is, is that that's the elevation to the status of the global reserve currency to the dollar through the Petro Agreement, right? So then it becomes very, very big talking point on how that impacts the dollar. Now, coming back home to banks, bank runs, they're tying it to crypto. Some are, some aren't, right? You know, uh, you have to wonder how hard does this go? That's what I wonder about. Is this thing going to get full on stuck into the mud? I have great conversations with Big Skinny, who's a uh, part of my mastermind group and how we go over things. And, and uh, we talk about that. Like, is this going to be something where you see the, the, you know, like a recession style felt event, or is this going to be something much deeper, you know, because of the, you know, collapse to the dollar or something of that nature. Look, I try to be a glass half full. There's bad news in front of us, I believe. Right. And it's just a question of how bad a news is it. Right. You know, and that's kind of where I'm at here. It's trying to I'm trying to see what's happening. And when you when you look at the way the world's moving from, you know, the dollar dominance and moving away from it, then the things that are happening with bank runs here at home, we know that there's been more money printed in the last three years than in the history of the dollar itself. You know, all of these things are real. And, you know, at the same time, we just happen to be moving towards a new payment system, a new set of payment rails, a new way to move value, right? And settle value. So I don't find these things to be mutually exclusive. I don't know how hard this goes, but that's my concern is that we're going to see something take place, but how bad will it be, right? And Brad, we're seeing some of the biggest players, not only in our market, but in the world say exactly what you're saying. As Fidelity and BlackRock continue to expand their crypto influence, not only in the United States, but outside of our borders as well. And I'm excited to discuss an article later in the episode where the CEO of Circle, known as the USDC coin, is blaming United States regulation for crypto companies going overseas. And they're actually stating that Circle may have to do the same thing. So a United States asset may have to file in Europe in order to remain profitable, Johnny. But before we do that, we're going to get this show started by exposing Gary Gensler for the hypocrisy that he's continued to show within this market, claiming in 2018, over 75% of digital assets were not securities. Well, in 2023, he's changed his stance. The vast number of these thousands of tokens, uh, 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 without prejudging any one of them, meet the standard of being a security. And thus, the platforms have a obligation to come in, register, work with us. So we already know in the U.S. and in many other jurisdictions that three quarters of the market are not ICOs or not what could be called securities, even in the U.S., Canada, and Taiwan, the three jurisdictions that follow something similar to the Howey test that we've talked about. Three quarters of the market is, is 
non-securities is just a commodity, a cash crypto. Why did Gary Gensler believe this? Because many SEC officials at the time had already come out and stated Bitcoin and Ethereum were seemingly going to be given a free pass from regulators like Gary Gensler. So 75% of the market was actually in those two projects. I want to qualify something here. And Johnny, let me know when you're done typing. One of the things that I've understood with Gary Gensler is 75% of the market cap for crypto was considered a commodity. He wasn't saying that 75% of the individual projects circulating today were considered unregistered securities. So it's an interesting nuance there, but I'd love to hear what it means to you. And then we'll kick it to Brad, Johnny. Well, like I said, I wish Gary would watch his own videos as he consult himself when he's talking about this stuff. Um, you know, I, I, you know, you're right, Abs. It was you're right at the time. Those were the big two when you first got into crypto early on, and, and those two were certainly considered. Um, I'm sure if you brought Gens on and asked him, that's what he would say. Well, actually, no, Gary wouldn't give you an answer. We saw Gary <laughs> under the Senate committee. He can't even give a straight answer. But I think at the end of the day, we just really need to get through at least one or two things needs to happen. We either need to get through this XRP ruling and let's pray for a ruling and not a settlement because that will then give some clarity. Obviously, if it's at a pellet level, that's even better because then we get true clarity that can be used as real precedent. And if that doesn't happen, then we want Congress. We need Congress to come out and actually write some rules like they're supposed to do that says this is what a security or this is what it is, this is what it isn't. And that will also provide clarity. So one of those two things we need to happen or, as Yusko says, the, 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 the then they fight you stage that we're in right now might really last four years to 2027 and beyond. So uh, let's hope we get that clarity or make sure you got a lot of antacids. You're going to need Tums, Rolades, anything because it's going to be a bumpy ride, my friend. Brad, I'd love to get your opinion as well. We've seen it from day one that Ethereum, the Ethereum Alliance and people like Coinbase thought that Bitcoin and Ethereum had been given a free pass. So many, almost nobody from the Ethereum Alliance came out to defend Ripple against the SEC. Well, now many of those same people are coming out and saying, hey, XRP Army, provide us evidence as to what's going on. So it's really interesting to see our enemies become our allies. But what does it mean to you the way Gary Gensler is regulating this market today? Well, look, I mean, that video is years old at him at MIT. So, I mean, you have to start right there and say to yourself, okay, well, you're saying this then just a few years ago, and now you're saying everything, including stable coins, is a, is a security as the chair of the SEC. I call him Goldman Gensler, okay? Because, you know, to me, you know, I feel it appears, it appears to me from what I'm seeing in those actions and that basic contradiction there is is foundational right so uh what's the motive motive is what comes to mind to me okay what's your motive for now being in a different position where you can't explain yourself and you come off like a bumbling idiot when you're in a hearing because you're you're so tongue-tied because you know what you said a few years ago right so and you know that you're not providing clarity. Look, I, I don't think you can say it any better than Digital Asset Investor said it this morning. I covered his tweet on my channel. It is offensive. It is offensive to see. And listen, I'm one of those people when 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 QCoin first came out and got sued by the uh, attorney general in New York uh, and said in that complaint that the, that Ethereum was a security. I made a tweet and said, you know, I'm going to grab a paddle and I'm going to start paddling because ETH people just found out we're in this boat together when they thought they weren't. And they were they were yelling for us. When we yelled for a rope, they threw a boat anchor at us, right? That's what happened. But I'm still trying to paddle. But just a few days ago, Joseph Lubin blocks me, right? So it's like, 
you know, it is offensive. There's the tweet right there, and I'm going to read that if I could, Abs, if you don't mind. XRP community was putting out these clips of what Gensler was up to for over two years, and now Brian Armstrong and his dotty friends acted like it wasn't even there. We're on the same side now, but these people should be ashamed of themselves, and I won't forget. They thought they had their Bitcoin ETH pass from Hinman's speech and didn't care. And, you know, it's true. It is true. And you know what could change all of this? Because it feels like tribalism, that we're whining because now that they're in the boat we're in, people say, well, stop whining and start helping. Okay, great. But why don't the ETH people like Brian Armstrong and Ryan Selkis and Novogratz and the rest of them that were all wishing for our demise show just a little bit of humility, a little bit of humility? Because you know what? Just a little humility would bring an entire XRP army to your aid. Yeah, that's very well said, Brad. And I think, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. That's exactly what we were talking about this the other day on the show. This space needs companies and, 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 and advocates to come together. Because right now the scale is being weighed on the other side of anti-crypto, right? And we know who's leading that and we know the, the, what they're trying to do there. And so it's time that the industry heals itself and the tribalism, like you said, goes away. And we need the ripples in the Coinbase's and the Krakens and the Nexos and the KuCoin to all recognize they're the target and come together and, and, and work with Congress or whoever they need to work with to say, hey, guys, we all have a common interest. It's the same interest. And we want to help this industry flourish and grow. And the best way to do that, they got to come together. Absolutely. We Got to come together. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Crypto. And I got a perfect transition into somebody who may be able to hold Gary Gensler accountable here. This is a very short video. We're going to play about 40 seconds. The man who actually put Gary Gensler on the stand and had him shaking in his boots. He asked him straight up, Brad. He said, is Ethereum a security? Well, that was the clip that was circulating on Twitter where Gary Gensler was literally shaking while trying to answer the question. But we're going to play this clip and go right back to the group here. Here we go. With the crypto fallout over, over the last two years. And he's not, not done a damn thing to make things better. In fact, he's made things worse uh, and made uh, legitimate actors and uh, taken the legitimate actors and pushed them out of the, the sphere and allowed illicit actors to run rampant. It is the opposite of consumer protection. It's the opposite of safety and sound. It's this opposite of capital formation. It is a, a terrible regime. Um, and what he exposed in two minutes with, with answering my questions is how bad this is that he can't even clarify one, uh, one uh, piece of technology that's been a long existence and provides some level of thinking around his approach to digital assets. He won't do any of that. I'll give you the open floor here, Brad. What stuck out to you about that clip in particular? And do you believe Gary Gensler will ever be held accountable for the recklessness of his, of his regulation by enforcement? Well, I, look, great questions, Abs, and it's just, it's repulsive to hear these people in Congress complain like this. Do something. You have the ability to do something. Stop acting like you're feckless. I, I, I want to see congressional people on Twitter less. I want to see you in Capitol Hill more, and I want to see you do the things that you're actually sent there to do. Now, maybe he gets those things done. Maybe it's my naivete that I don't understand at 52 how these things work, because I know Capitol Hill ain't nothing but horse trade, right? But, you know, that's where my lack of confidence comes from. 
because at the end of the day, it's like you could cut the money off to the SEC and send the letter says, hey, you know, we don't get this figured out and start getting some real answers out of you. We're going to cut the money and the funding off over there. And let's see how that works. I bet we start having some conversations then. You know, it, there are and, and maybe there's things even less drastic than that that are just as effective that could be done as well that I'm not aware of. But look, I, you know, all of this. It just stinks to me. It just stinks all the way around that somebody could be at the head of an agency like this and run as rampant as this guy has run. And we're still not seeing anyone really call him to carpet to where he has to change his ways and get in line, or he has to explain his position on why is Bitcoin not a security and why something else is. It could be as easy as having a tab on the website of the SEC that lists bullet points. This is what you need to do to be in compliance. And this is what you are if you're not in compliance, right? It's as simple as that, but they don't want it to be as simple as that and i can't help but feel that there's a darker narrative and motive behind every single bit of that absolutely and a lot of times when you look at these representatives like brad sherman for example we're wondering why is he so anti-crypto why would he be incentivized to shut down the crypto market well you look at who's funding his campaign this guy makes only one hundred and seventy thousand dollars from u.s taxpayers he's got private companies giving him six hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year and there's dozens of them so when he comes into these meetings and he's promoting a specific agenda I believe that is who he's speaking for. He's not speaking for the people who elected him or the people he's supposed to be representing as a congressman. Instead, he's representing the man who are putting money in his pockets. And I actually think it's a much bigger issue than an individual congressman. When you look at America today, we are the only country on the planet that allows pharmaceutical advertising in our country. Well, 75% of the mainstream media's funding comes from pharmaceutical companies. So I just want to throw that out there, Johnny, and then give you the open floor. What's, what does it mean to you, my friend, what I just said right there? Well, there's oops, sorry, I'm on mute. Okay, unmuted. Yeah. So, you know, there's certainly, you know, oh, I, I kind of want to go back to what Brad said. It, it makes you wonder why the man who's leading, the, you know, this agency here doesn't know what the second largest market cap coin is. I mean, you don't have a you don't have a, 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 a feel for what that is. Come on. So no, I agree. There's some, there's other, there's an alternative agenda. And as I said the other day, this, everything, the way the regimes work, everything starts at the top. And so Gary's just being told, Hey, this is what, this is how I want you to drive this thing. And that's where it's being driven. So I really think abs, if we're going to see a change in this space, we really need to see a change at the top. And that obviously is going to happen until 2024, if they even get one. Uh, so we don't, we don't know. Or unless of course, if there's uh Maybe they're putting it on hold for a reason. And um, yeah, there you go. Brad's got the sun out. He sure does. But I think there's no, something- no, no. He said, you got suns out, guns out. Yeah, well, he's got the sun out. I brought the guns out. But, uh, you know, but nonetheless, I think what's important here is as we move forward in this space, we, you know, we we are the guys that are kind of keeping an eye on this space. But Brad's right. Congress can do something about it. There are some senators that are at least proactive in this space who are crypto friendly. And I think it's important that those guys Write those senators. Tell them, hey, we want to see you guys take action. You know, support them. Let them know that you're supporting them. But you want them to take action because you know what? Words, words are cheap, my man. Actions are the only things that matter. Johnny Crypto, we're going to go into a little bit of a longer segment here, guys. I'm going to read through some of this article, and then I'm just going to ask you and Brad to commentate as I go. 
this is a groundbreaking report out of Ashley Prosper, somebody who's done phenomenal work, not only in the XRP community, but she's working for the entire crypto industry as a whole. And she's actually trying to get documents revealed about the relationship between the SEC and JP Morgan. So I'm going to break this down and kick it right over to Brad. In September of 2017, R3 Consortium, which represents over 40 of the leading banks, sued Ripple to reinstate its options contract, which Ripple had canceled due to failures in the promotion clause. Ripple countersued in January of 2018, saying that although R3 represented to Ripple that it would have access to its large consortium of leading banks, R3 knew and had reason to know that several key banks would soon be instrumental to Ripple's success, would soon be departing from its consortium. This refers to Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, and Santander, who chose not to remain in R3's consortium of almost 40 banks. Now, a few of those banks made their own agreements with Ripple, but at least one did not. That would be JP Morgan. In June of 2018, Bill Hinman, the then director of the SEC's corporate finance division, gave a speech in which he gave clarity to Bitcoin and Ethereum, causing the price to skyrocket. Um, We now have a strong reason to believe that XRP was also due to receive some clarity on that day, but something had changed in the months leading up to William Hinman's speech. Someone or something had decided to exclude XRP. Coincidentally or not, later that year, 15 senior J.P. Morgan executives would find themselves in Ripple's office. We can only assume that the discussion was about XRP. Were they looking to partner with Ripple? Were they looking to buy them out? They had at this time been working with ETHLAB and Quorum for some years and subsequently announced JPM coin in February of 2019. So I assume the latter. It clearly wasn't going well for J.P. Morgan, and they sold the product that they had worked on for the last five years, Quorum, to consensus in August of 2020, while allegedly illegally acquiring 10% of Ethereum's core infrastructure, MetaMask and Infura, in a shady backdoor deal with Joseph Lubin known as Project North Star. They inked the deal with MoneyGram in June of 2019 and many others thereafter. However, it appears that JP Morgan wasn't done with Ripple and had what appeared to be a large number of communications with the SEC about Ripple and XRP. Four months after Quorum was sold to Consensus, the lawsuit of the century was dropped on Ripple by the SEC. The search for truth will continue. I said a lot right there, so I'm going to give it right over to Brad. Brad, open floor, my friend. What did that whole speech mean to you? Well, first of all, Ashley Prosper, I mean, if, you need, if you've never heard of them, you should be following that person. You know, uh, they, they do an incredible job, and there it is right there, right? I mean, you see all of the pieces laid out for you there just to follow the timeline of what went on, and I think every bit of it's in line, to be honest, and, and that's where we're at, right? And and actually, to, to compile that, then we had the Zakhanov case, which is coming out today, and there's a hearing today on Zakhanov versus Ripple, right, where a guy held XRP for two weeks, you know, and this is all about weaponizing the legal system against a competitor. That's all. That's all I see. All of this is about. Right. And, uh, you know, it's despicable. Hey, crypto, I'd love to get your take as well. But when we see companies like Fidelity and BlackRock not only promoting cryptocurrency, but expanding their units, it's very telling about what I just read right there. Companies like JP Morgan understand that blockchain is a, an inevitable success They're just trying to profit off of it the best way possible. One of the ways to do that is by squishing your competition. And I think that's what we witnessed between Ripple and Ethereum here. What does it mean to you, my friend? Well, no, the moral of the story is if JP Morgan comes knocking on your door and wants to be a partner, you better say yes. (laughs) Obviously, if you don't, you know what they're going to do. And so that's the moral of the story is it sounds like there definitely was 
a strong partnership somewhere there between JPM and Ripple and, and, a, and a couple other companies. And we knew it because we saw Brad was highly connected to the World Economic Forum. He was going to all the uh, he was on the board. He was going to all the meetings. So he was he was definitely heavily ingrained. And then like like she like that article said, something went wrong. The negotiations turned negative, And then obviously we saw the outcome of that. And now the real question is, you know, how long are they going to is this going to last? We know that Ripple's been held down. No doubt about it. Brad has already said he hasn't been able to work with with too many companies in the U.S., which is why you've seen him get pushed out globally. And the good news, kudos to Brad. He didn't let that stop him. He knew he was under the gun, but he went and started spreading, you know, Ripple and their technology worldwide, globally. So good for him. That's a good start. And I think eventually once the monkey comes off their back, when we get a ruling on this case, then I think you'll see companies willing. I think you'll see Coinbase. All the all the U.S. exchanges will relist them if we get clarity that it's not a security. And then you'll see Brad being able to, to focus on the U.S. and we'll see where it could go. The question is that, how much damage was done? How much opportunity did they lose over the last three years? Think about it. For three years, they haven't been able to do anything in the U.S. Honestly, please do me a favor and mute that bad boy, Johnny Crypto. But we got 498 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Brad, another thing that stuck out to me during this entire breakdown of J.P. Morgan and SEC's relationship is that in February of 2019, Ripple and R3 settled for 1.04 billion XRP. I'm sure you have more insight than I do. Maybe you can explain that to people. What's the background story there? What happened between Ripple and R3? And how do you feel about that billion XRP being a part of the settlement? Well, you know, the the, the deal was uh, closed. That case was closed, right? So that's the information that we know. We really don't have a lot of other information other than to say that, you know, the the, the partnership that was between R3 and Ripple had spoiled, right? And essentially, R3 didn't deliver on their end of the deal. And Ripple said, well, you know, then we want out of here. And they originally had an option on 5 billion XRP, right, at the time. So what they settled on, I'm not 100% positive. But, you know, uh, it does speak to the fact that, um, you know, option contracts are very real. That's something that I've talked about on my channel and pre-allocating option contracts to other entities. Brad Garlinghouse has confirmed this. It's been a huge point of contention. A lot of people call it conspiracy theory or what have you. It's like, it isn't. That's exactly- Was that my computer, Roto? Are we frozen here? Are we good? And you're back. You're back, Brad. All right. So, yeah. So, I mean, you know, look, I mean, you know, there were option contracts done back in the day, right? You know, we don't get to know because we're retail investors with who, but that is the way that they pursued business at the time. And that case speaks to evidence of that. And I think that they were looking for those players that could bring the utility and liquidity at an institutional level to be able to really take XRP to its ultimate destination, which I believe is to work as a bridge currency on a world exchange, which is the XRP ledger. Absolutely. And I'm excited to show our listeners another groundbreaking article today. As we broke it down earlier this week, Ripple is partnering with the World Economic Forum and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in order to take the 2 billion people outside of our banking system and bring them into the World Economic Forum's agenda. Well, they actually just put out a new article this morning talking about how climate change can be fought through blockchain technology. I'm really excited to bring that for our listeners. But before we do that, guys, we're going to show you the smartest way to track your crypto. Have you gotten wrecked in the crypto market space or watched your crypto portfolio go all the way up and then all the way down without taking profits? 
If so, it's probably because you didn't have an exit plan. The good news is that doesn't need to happen anymore thanks to a new and innovative crypto tracker called Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. Merlin brings all your coins into one place so you can see all your assets across the different exchanges on one screen. You can see your total portfolio value and more importantly, your daily gains, losses and total since inception. Merlin puts the power back in your hands so you no longer have to guess what your portfolio is doing on a daily or monthly basis. Most importantly, Merlin lets you create an exit plan and sends you notifications when your targets are reached so you no longer have to get wrecked in the marketplace. Go to MerlinCrypto.com. That's MerlinCrypto.com and sign up for our free 30-day trial and get on the wait list so you can receive an email when the product is launched. Don't miss out on this new and innovative app, Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. Not only is it the smartest way to track your crypto, Johnny, but people get access to this application for 30 days absolutely free. And we've got some groundbreaking announcements in the works, but I'd love to give you 30 seconds. Why don't you fill our listeners in on any updates with Merlin? Yeah, Abs, we're excited. Uh, we're getting close. Again, the plan is hopefully to launch it uh, this quarter or by the end of this quarter. But the good news is if you have if you have your ticket and you're going to XRP Vegas, we will be a sponsor there. So get your ticket. Come out to XRP Vegas and you will get to see a live demo. You'll even be able to play with it. We'll give you the app. You can play with it in your hand. You can play with Merlin. You can check it out, see what's going and um you know to be able to see how it can help you know track your crypto and do a couple other things and then we also have some exciting uh partnership news that we're not launching that yet we'll be releasing that a little bit later in time but we're excited there's a lot of exciting things happening for merlin and we're so excited to be at the 2023 xrp las vegas conference make sure you get your brad do we have any more tickets left what's happening there? we sold out what's the story there we are completely sold out. In uh, fact, we've had two calls from the facility that uh, we're up against the uh, fire code for the rooms that we're in. And uh, it, I mean, we are at max here and it, it is busting at the seams. However, I do want to let people know you can go to XRP-LasVegas.com and get a web ticket for Saturday's conference ooh. and be able to see abs and johnny and coach jv all on stage because you guys will all be on stage and i couldn't be more excited to have all of you be a part of the experience of what's going to go on that day abs is going to be a moderator for a couple panels johnny and coach jv are going to sit on the panel and talk about new product launch and, and what's going on in their world so i look the, the whole day is going to be a remarkable experience and I don't think people really understand just how incredible this packed day is full of just amazing, beautiful people. Cause I've had a chance to talk to all of you, you know what I mean? That are going to be there on a the day. And, and that's a really, really, uh, uh, it's a really humbling thing to know that we've been able to assemble the lineup uh, for that day. And, and I could be more excited. It, it is going to be an incredible experience, but you can get a web ticket, XRP-LasVegas.com. Get that web ticket because we will have to cut that off too prior to the conference as well. So, And you know what? It is really exciting uh, when we look at all the speakers you've got listed here. Brad, it tells me you've done some great things there. And more importantly, it sounds like you're going to need a bigger place next year. <laughs> you know, Johnny, I could have used you a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, <laughs> But listen, you know, this thing, it started out, it was going to be a meetup with bagels and donuts and coffee. You know what I mean? It's like, and then it grew from there, you know, with 
just reaching out to a couple people. And I was like, wow, you know, if we, if we just push a little harder here, we could actually open this experience up, not just for, you know, my private mastermind group, shout out to the DPMG members, you know, uh, there, you know, there is where it started and it was just going to be a meetup. And then from there it grew into this conference. And it was like, you know what? And it should, because again, like I said earlier, you know, there's, there's nobody that really needs and deserves to be celebrated more than the XRP ledger community and the XRP ledger ecosystem, which, I mean, these projects that you're going to learn about on the day are just remarkable. Even ones you know about. Yeah, absolutely. And just to double down here, guys, we got 490 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And somebody said settlement coming on May 5th. Only if the stars align, Brad. But we're going to talk about a ripple settlement right now. As Mike Novengratz, somebody who's been extremely critical of XRP, well, he <laughs> seems to be joining the alliance now. Here we go. Um, and so I'm a little worried that the first big case that's going to get you know, adjudicated is the ripple case. Um, because that's a little less clear to me on how that's going to go. Listen, full disclosure, we own... Uh, and it's on our balance sheet and disclose uh, equity and ripple the company. And so uh, as much as people think I, I don't like XRP, I'm cheering for ripple to win that case. Maybe loud and clear. I want them to win. Um, uh, but I worry about that one because you lose that people are going to be, Oh, we're going to lose all the cases. And I think you got to be very careful that, you know, each one of these things and, you know, is taken separately and you, and you read the fine, the fine print of the of the ruling. Brad, you did it yourself. You had to blow the crap away from your mouth there because Mike Novengratz is somebody who's been so critical of the XRP community. But now that the SEC may be going after Ethereum and centralized exchanges, all of a sudden he's a Ripple advocate. So I'd love to give you the floor. What's it mean to you, Brad? I mean, this guy has gone from the largest troll of the XRP community, wherever he could go to spew his troll you know, message about XRP being a security to being a first class ass sniffer. Okay. Cause that's exactly what he is today. You know, this is a guy who's an opportunist, right. Who's obviously looking to just position himself wherever he can that, that see to me, look, I'm 52. So I'm not, you know, I didn't come up with the internet. The internet happened after I was already grown. Right. So, you know, there's a whole different kind of people out here in the world, in the internet world. But where I come from, integrity means something. And that guy's got nothing as far as I'm concerned. He is bankrupt when it comes to integrity. So, you know, look, I, 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 I'm biased at what I, at what I feel about Mike Novogratz because this guy was absolutely the cheerleader, the pom-poms and all, the shiny jacket, everything, while he was talking us into a hole. And now he's hoping uh, you know, I hope this, uh, this thing, uh, I hope it worked, you know, uh, you know, it, 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 it is, uh, I, I, I can't, you know, <laughs> Hey Brad, I'll help you out on this show. We have a name for people like that. See, we call this, it's called the rat snake weasel meter. There you go. Yeah. So these are guys that, you know, they're, they're a bunch of rat snake weasels. Tell you one thing, believe another, you know, flip flopping left and right, like crazy. It, yeah. You know, the, the sad part of reality is this. It's sad that in the crypto space, we have so much damn tribalism and that's really what's hurting this space. There's so much division. You know, you're right. People in Ethereum and Bitcoin were cheering, literally cheering when Ripple got sued. Like, really? Why are you cheering? That something in your industry that's about ready to get kicked off, that's in its infancy, 
is getting sued. No, that's not a good thing for any, and that's no way a good thing anywhere in this industry. And that's not the right response. Of course, now that they're on the same side, all of a sudden, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? And now, oh, hey, we're buddy buddies. But the reality is you can see right through that and it stinks. Um, but, but uh, you know, I do think in the long run, though, sometimes the only, again, I look for the silver lining. The only silver lining here is Gary is pushing all of the tribalism to come together. <laughs> There's one common enemy that might unite everybody and it might be. It might be Gary. So that's a, that's a silver lining I think I see out of it, Brad, if you're looking at it from that point. And Johnny, we're seeing some real repercussions come from the cryptocurrency industry. Gary Gensler has already stated that regulation should make the United States more appealing for crypto companies. But we're seeing the exact opposite take place before our eyes right now. As USDC's founder and the CEO of Circle, Jeremy Allaire, blames the shrunken value of the company's stablecoin USDC on regulatory challenges in the United States, as well as concerns with the banking system. And this is something we outlined from day one. If Gary Gensler doesn't create a friendly regulatory environment, these projects aren't going to cease to exist. They're going to go to exchanges and, and jurisdictions that allow them to thrive. And that's what we're seeing right now is the total supply of USDC has evaporated in the last month, losing $10 billion in the total market supply. Well, that money went straight over to Tether as Tether has gained a total market supply of over $80 billion, yet is sitting outside of government regulation here, Brad. And this is something that we're going to continue to see. We've even seen the CEO of Jeremy Allaire say they're willing to leave the United States and operate in Europe if things do not change. So if that doesn't speak to the hypocrisy right there, a U.S. asset has to go overseas in order to operate properly. I don't really know what you're watching, but broad floor, what's it mean to you, Brad? Look, I, th I think you nailed it, Abs. I mean, you know, if, if you ever want to know we have a problem, right? It's like, you know, it's like a private stablecoin company with the U.S. digital dollar, you know, and potentially on a path to become the retail U.S. digital dollar someday is talking about going to Europe to continue to run. You know, I, <laughs> you know, you just cannot really make it up. You know, that that's the problem. Right. But I, I will say and trying to be glass half full here, like Johnny, you know, in respect to that. And I try to be that way anyway. Um, you know, I do believe that stablecoin legislation comes first. And I do believe there's a good chance we get that within the next 12 to 18 months. I really do believe that because we know that there are clear rules about custody now because PolySign lines up with that completely as the SEC has laid out. And that's huge because that lets us know we actually have a set of parameters we can look to to say this is compliant custody, right? And PolySign falls right exactly in that. Now, if we could just get that for crypto and digital assets, we'd really be on to something. But I think if you've got custody straight and then you move to the on and off ramps of stablecoin legislation, will really be starting to put a market together that will last a lifetime. Johnny Crypto, one of my concerns when it comes to government regulation is this update we gave yesterday. As United States officials that own or operate in the cryptocurrency space are going to be banned from creating regulation in regards to this asset class. And there was a lot of people who were celebrating this, Brad, but I had a little bit of a different take. What it tells me is anybody who comes in and is incentivized to allow crypto to succeed is not going to be allowed to be in the rulemaking process. I want to get Johnny's thoughts on that as well. Yeah, before I hop to that, I want to go back to the USDC conversation. So think about this. Nine months ago, 
All we could hear people talking about on the show and was how USDT was going to collapse. Tether is a scam. It's bad. It's going to kick down the whole crypto market. And what do we see? Fast forward nine months later, everybody's shifting over to USDT, which is uh, unaudited, set up somewhere in Singapore, China somewhere. No idea who did it. Five guys, you can't even say their names. And everybody's rushing over to that. And USDC, which is backed by BlackRock and a bunch of other things, Circle, and supposed to have 75% U.S. dollars behind it. Everybody's bailing from it. So it just goes to show you right now how crazy this whole industry is. Brad is right. We absolutely need regulation around a stable coin. That's phase one, because that then puts the base in to say, okay, this is the safe place to play. We know it's safe. And then from there, because the problem right now is everybody's shifting to USDT. If USDT crashes, oh, my God. Say goodbye to cryptos in a lot of trouble. You thought you saw bottoms before. I was, no, you haven't seen bottoms like you're going to see if USDT crashes. So let's hope that doesn't, doesn't happen. But the reality is we know mm, it's a little shady. We can't really get the truth and the auditing of what's happening there. So that has me a little worried that people are now getting pushed in the USDT. That's and, something to keep your eye on. And, and if I could just add to Johnny's point, because I just think it's a fantastic point. You know, um, Again, just like we talked about the actual real dollar earlier in this show, right? And not knowing how hard it would go or how hard it won't go. Mm. It's the same thing with USD Tether, right? Like, you know, it's like we do not have clarity until we understand how the U.S. government, the Treasury and the Fed feel about a private company that has been selling a digital version of the only product that the Federal Reserve sells which is the dollars, right? So, you know, when you think of that, you think of that for a moment, right? You know, it's something has to happen where we understand. Now, will that be, they just simply have to come in and file an application. They have a year to get in compliance, right? And then they have a no action letter or something issued after that by the treasury, who knows, right? Or maybe it's a complete rug pull and they go, nope, and then everything floods into the USDC coin, which is then brought in as the legitimate uh, retail digital dollar. All these things are like possibilities that sit out here and we don't know which way it'll go. But I'll tell you what, I'm reminded of this. And Johnny, I'm glad you went down this road because I'm reminded of what Brad Garlinghouse said. And I believe it was at the collision conference in Canada last summer. I don't know why. There are so many stable coins. What's the need for all of these stable coins? And there's something that sticks out about that to me that really says we haven't yet seen that final, that final cleansing of the crypto space. Because until, until there's proper audits held and a clearance and a stamp of approval from the U.S. government on, on uh, Tether, this market has not really made it to where it needs to be yet. Johnny Crypto, you hinted at it yourself. I, th I believe FTX was only an eight to ten billion dollar collapse. If we saw the downfall of Tether happen, that would be eighty billion dollars evaporating from this market, and who knows how many trading pairs would be messed up during that time. But guys, we got five hundred and twenty-one live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. I want to say thank you to Brad for making time for us today. Johnny, you often reference: Do we have politicians fighting for crypto innovation in this country? Well, Tom Emmer could be one of them. This is a 20-second clip, and we're going back to you. Here we go. Jill, uh, there is no corner. Once the Republicans pass this, we will show you that we are not willing to allow this country to go into default. Then 
uh, all the uh, responsibility is going to be on the other side of the building and with the administration. We got to get this done for the American people, and hopefully Joe Biden will come up with some ideas because he hasn't had any so far, and Chuck Schumer has been completely absent from the process. Hopefully that will change after Republicans pass this proposal this week. Well, they're talking about voting on the debt ceiling there, Johnny, and anybody who's been watching this since 1970, they voted on the debt ceiling 83 to 88 times. Can't remember off the top of my head. 88 out of 88, they've raised the ceiling. So we're not going to see America default, at least not in 2023. Love to get some thoughts from you, Johnny, and then we'll kick it to Brad. Well, the reality is what I prefer to see them do is create a budget. And if they created a budget, you wouldn't have to raise the debt ceiling. But we know that that they haven't. I don't think they've balanced the budget since. Well, you were definitely in diapers. Abs. You might not even been in diapers when the last time they balanced the budget. I think it was in 1995 or something. Maybe Brad knows. But it was a long, long time ago since we've had a balanced budget. So, abs. of course, they raised the 83. They have no choice. You think they're going to let the government default on their watch? No, that's going to lose all their voters. So there's absolutely no question about it. That what would you say? This was the 83rd or 88th? One or the other. I couldn't remember. All right. Well, whichever one it is, it's going to be 84, 89 pretty soon. Exactly. <laughs> they're definitely not going to let it default. There's exactly. no doubt. They ain't let it default. <sighs> I'd love well, to look at thoughts from yeah. you as well, Brad. Yeah. Uh, well, look, I mean, I, I think, you know, it is a tough call. I mean, obviously, they, they vote every single time, you know, to, to raise the debt ceiling. Uh, have you ever seen Congress come in and go, you know, you know what? We're spending too much. You know, I mean, like you, th there's a line you're never going to hear on the floor. Right. You know that everyone agrees to and actually takes action on. It's just not going to happen. Right. You know. And, you know, maybe people wouldn't have so much trouble with taxes if you could actually see, you know, the good stuff happening with your money and not the overspending and the fiscal discipline, if it was there and all of those things, then maybe people wouldn't have such a problem paying their taxes, right? But, you know, to speak to this, one does have to say, even though I agree, the more than likely the chances are 99.99999, they're going to raise the debt ceiling. But think of this for a moment. We are watching BRICS coalition begin to unite, become stronger. They are absolutely openly talking about de-dollarization. They are absolutely talking about minimizing that in their portfolio. Now, the trick is, <laughs> you know, the, the dollar is still very much the strongest asset in all of their portfolios, regardless of how much they want to come off of the dollar. But what there is a scenario there that concerns me when I speculate about the idea that BRICS continue to expand another 19 applications to join the members that are already in BRICS, add Saudi Arabia in there as well, and then start to say to yourself inside of that, that, that notion, that understanding, if they all dumped it at the once, they'd hurt themselves just as much as they hurt the U.S. trying to de-dollarize from it, right? From the dollar as a global reserve currency. However, if you have... 30, 50 countries, and they all shave 15% of their portfolio and dump that back into the market to the U.S., right? Then you're talking about death by a thousand cuts. And you're talking about a really, really real scenario that could take place that doesn't hurt them individually because individually, no one in BRICS individually can do this harm they would like to do to the U.S. over the U.S. dollar dominance. But collectively, there could be this death by a thousand cuts thing going on. And if that is true, what about the idea and understanding that that could open up the window to say, hey, maybe it's not the debt ceiling this time. Maybe while we still have leverage as the U.S. 
And all of those countries still do have our treasuries in their portfolio and they can't dump them all. Wouldn't now be the perfect time to come in and do a bankruptcy and buy it back pennies on the dollar and tell them you were going to dump it anyway, right? So I'm going to get you before you get me, right? You know, and I'm not saying that that's going to happen. I'm just saying it feels like there is a moment where you have to consider, you know, that it being a, a you know, a, it, it's a play in the playbook. Now, whether they run it is another story. Absolutely. And we are going to see United States come out with regulation on stable coins. But when I think about what Gary Gensler's main objective is for 2023, it's going after crypto exchanges. And in doing so, he's going to be able to regulate every project that's offered on those exchanges as well. That's what gets me a little bit nervous about the way Gary Gensler is regulating this market. But guys, we got 509 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button and check out this latest update while people around America are debating if this technology is here to stay, it's seen- oh, I just deleted my tab. I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> I've Abs, never done that before. <laughs> that's, that's all right, Abs. While you're doing that, I do want to say I think that's huge. That article you just put up where they just said just in, uh, if you saw the last bullet on the screen before you deleted it, it actually, I don't know if anybody saw that, but they said, you know, they're working on a stable coin, you know, as we talk about being the first one. But did you see the last sentence of it? They're proposing that the stable coin be considered a commodity and not not controlled by the SEC. So there's some good news. Hopefully that holds up. That legislation stays in there and gets passed. That would be a good thing because a stable coin really should not be considered. Uh, uh, you know, if that's considered security, we're really screwed, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So good news there that at least we're seeing what I would call some good common sense legislation being put forward because legislation or regulation can be good or can be bad. That's it right. depends on if we get good common sense regulation or do we get you know what i say you know non-common sense regulation so at least that appears to me from what you just put out there real quickly that it looks like we're getting something that at least has some common sense thank you johnny and i will pull that up in the background but brad the point of that article that i was about to read is coinbase just partnered with talos and talos is owned by some of the largest banks on the planet it was bny mellon jp morgan and another trillion billion dollar bank that we're talking about here Coinbase has already confirmed that institutions are approaching them every day to figure out how they can profit in crypto. Now they're going out and creating the mechanism to do so. So that's what I was going to break down. Uh, Floor is yours while I pull that up. Look, I I would just say it looks like, you know, Coinbase is going to be the market maker, right? For the big players that want to be in the market and Mm -hmm. say, hey, here's where you come. We're going to be the exchange for you. We're going to get the market you need. And that, that all I see, you know, while retail is being, and I don't want to say they're just being told that, you know, the market's dying. The market is getting crushed. You know, they're not just saying it like the market is getting pummeled. Right. You know, but what I do focus on, just like you showed the Fidelity BlackRock clip. Right. I think when we see those things, at least for me, they become beacons. Right. They become these buoys that tell me, OK, you know, they're still here until I see them packing up shop and saying there's nothing to this stuff. Right. And, and we're, we're packing it in. We're going back to paper money. You know, I'm in it to win it. Right. And, and I think that's really the sign here overall is there's there's the article. Abs. I'll throw it back to you. Absolutely. And this is some breaking news here, guys. As Talos received one hundred and five million dollars in a Series B funding round last May, while some of the biggest banks on the planet were really excited about the opportunity to invest in crypto as we had Citigroup, Wells Fargo and BNY Mellon all taking ownership during this round here, Johnny. And if it speaks to anything, 
tells us that the most important uh, players on the planet are willing to leverage crypto. They just need a mechanism to do so. And now Coinbase is going out and creating that. So regardless of the debate between regulation, this is what we're seeing here. We're seeing the institutions come in. I can only imagine what we'll see once the floodgates really open. Well, this is exactly what, unfortunately, we need to see is you need to see the big players moving into this space. That's why you're getting this then they fight you stage that we're talking about here below, right? Will crypto survive? We, we all, I think we all believe crypto will survive. What it's going to look like coming out on the other side, I'm not so sure we know what that's going to look like yet. It's going to go through some transformation, but that transformation is then going to put it in the hands of very powerful people that are going to position themselves to make a lot of money. And the good news for all of us, everybody who's here right now, we've been in this so bitch so damn early that when this thing takes off, once they've got everything positioned and they launch the, the, the rocket to the moon, we're all going to be able to benefit, as I like to say, high tide raises all boats, Abs, and I think they're going to let the tide come in. <laughs> they're going to let the tsunami. It's going to be a tsunami of money that's going to come in once we finally get players moving into the position they want to be, regulation around that, clarified. You know, Kevin O'Leary has said many times he's talked to a lot of these large institutions and they said, we'll put one, two, three percent of our money that we've got allocated that we're happy to put into this space. That's just going to make, you know, it's going to drive this whole entire space up. I just think the problem is we're just a little early and we just have to be patient for those of us who are patient and have a strong stomach. If not, get yourself a bottle of Tums and Rolades, sit through it. I think in a few years, you're going to be finding yourself sitting in a beautiful beachfront property like brad you're gonna have glass windows all around you're gonna have waterfront you have the sun coming in it's gonna be a beautiful thing absolutely and brad i'm excited to talk about this next article we've highlighted this throughout the week ripple the bill and melinda gates foundation and the world economic forum are going to be working together to create a more inclusive economy for everyone around the world well the world economic forum published a white paper this week and they broke down exactly how blockchain can actually help us become more carbon neutral the World Economic Forum has recently published a white paper that explains how blockchains are able to provide the infrastructure to fight against climate change at speed and scale. And without breaking down the details here, I'm just going to read one brief paragraph. Blockchains are able to strengthen and trust the ambition within climate change negotiations. It can also improve the market transparency and credibility. Lastly, the World Economic Forum wrote that digitalization democratizes access to climate action. So what are they really saying there, Brad? They're saying that blockchain allows them to track everyone's carbon emissions, creating a fully inclusive economy. So before I kick it back to you, what I really wanted to know is how do you feel about Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation betting on Ripple, World Economic Forum betting on Ripple? And I'm going to ask you a follow-up, but are you surprised to see them working together? No, I'm not surprised to see them working together because we know that there is a huge global agenda to go green right? And go carbon neutral with everything. And I believe, you know, that is the mission of the XRP ledger. It's carbon neutrality by 2030 for all things, right? And this is a real, very real part of it. And, you know, not to throw it back to XRP Las Vegas apps, but you're going to be running and, and moderating one of the panels where you will be discussing with blockchain laboratories who spoke at Apex last summer about carbon credits, right? So all of these things are where the world is going. I think, you know, much like central bank digital currencies, we have to be careful about these instruments and how we get there and to be very forward thinking that they don't trap us as individuals and in our rights on this planet. But nevertheless, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to say, where can we be better? Right. And that's where the XRP ledger comes in on that.
Johnny, we often talk about enable to identify a successful project. Look who's expanding and making acquisitions during a bear market. Ripple has been at the forefront of that conversation. Regardless of spending $100 million against the SEC in the lawsuit, they've expanded into over 40 payment corridors around the world, totaling over 95% of GDP. And I think that companies like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the World Economic Forum, they have a similar agenda. Taking the unbanked, bringing them into our banking system, and being able to monetize off of those new customers. So it's no surprise to me, but what does it mean to you, Johnny? Well, you know what's sad? What, in, what, what, what the first thought that comes to my mind now is, could you imagine if Ripple could have used that $100 million to invest in infrastructure to grow its technology? And also, we spoke to the developers of Ripple. They're not necessarily 100% you know, pushing Ripple uh, XRP. They're happy growing, happy being the guys to help the industry grow as a whole. And so imagine if that $100 million, instead of going in the pockets of four or five lawyers, right? <laughs> no, no offense to lawyers, but, but imagine if they could have put that into the infrastructure of the U.S. or any other place and the benefit that could have been because there's a lot of people out there, you know, who, who have lost their jobs or going to be losing their jobs. That $100 million could have created a lot of jobs and a lot of space. And instead, you know, you got four or five people, you know, benefiting from it. Very, very sad. It's a very huge opportunity loss or cost opportunity loss abs that that money had to go there and defend this, you know, worthless. Well, it won't be a worthless lawsuit if we get a ruling because it'll actually finally establish, you know, some lines here in the sand and we'll know what's going on. But if we don't get it, well, man, that was just a lot of lost money that didn't go to the better, you know, the good purpose of growing this industry or space. Rad, and before I kick it back to you, I'd love to just preface this right here. One of our listeners said, Coach JV says you should always bet on projects that you believe in and back projects that you believe are going to succeed. Well, just because we're betting on XRP doesn't mean we're advocates of central bank digital currencies or carbon credits. The reason we are talking about this is if this is going to be successful, we may as well profit off of that and be able to create a financial bubble around the ones we love because we know how dark this agenda can get. So it's really important if we can profit off this technology we should be profiting off of this technology and using it to protect the ones that we love. But Brad, I did want to get a quick thought from you here as it looks like Ripple is appearing at Consensus, the largest Ethereum conference on the planet. Ripple is going to be at booth number 456. So any brief thoughts there? Ripple make an appearance at an Ethereum uh, conference. You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, they, they you know, it, you know, there, it, it is interesting to see Ripple, you know, at all these different places. And I know with XRP Las Vegas, it can be very tricky because they're in the middle of a ruling from the SEC versus Ripple right over XRP being a security or not. So I think there's a sensitivity there. But, you know, you never know at these conferences, like, who will show up. You never know, right, Who who will be at these things. Very true. And this is a prime example of that right here, Johnny. And I remember we were trying to make an appearance at this conference, and I believe we will someday. But once they have more open-minded conversations, of course, there's another article I'd love to show you guys, which I found to be very interesting. As Fidelity and BlackRock are continuing to expand their crypto units and grow their crypto funds for investors, as Fidelity now allows their 401k participants to invest in Bitcoin and Ethereum through this unique asset exchange. Well, that's not even what I really wanted to focus on because we know BlackRock and Fidelity are moving into the space. We've got more validation as an ex-BlackRock global equities head is now running a very small crypto firm out of uh, Europe. 
It's called Old Street Digital, and it's based out of London. They're raising institutional capital in order to invest in cryptocurrency for people who don't have exposure yet. The reason this is so important is this man, he previously oversaw over $30 billion worth of assets at BlackRock, being the U.S. and United Nations Kingdom, sorry, United Kingdom's portfolio manager from 2014 to 2016. So a guy who was managing $30 billion took a massive step back and to start at a company worth $10 million tells me the potential for growth there. But what's it mean to you, Brad? Well, listen, I mean, I don't think you could say it any better than you did. I mean, you know, it shows where we're going here. I mean, you know, Johnny, your thoughts. I mean, I think you got it. Absolutely. Johnny, any thoughts on this one? You know, for me, the one thing I find interesting is you had mentioned, um, you know, so giving exposure to people, but the question is to who, because right now without regulation, it, are, is the common retailer able to get into this or is this only going to be accredited investors? I think that now obviously we need both anyway. So we want to, we, one step leads to the next one, but you know, the article you put up before it actually procured my interest. Yeah. That one. Cause I'm curious. You, you mentioned something about 401k exposure and, from my understanding, and I could be wrong here, I didn't think they can give exposure in 401ks until we actually get regularity and clarity around this. I thought it was more just for exposure to people who are accredited investors because you know that's a whole subset of different rules. So I am curious here to see apps how this whole thing is going to play out because to me, once you can open the door to 401ks, Think of how much money in, in the U.S. alone is sitting in 401ks where a certain percentage of that would flood into the crypto space. I ain't going to lie to you. That's one that thing that's always had me excited is I know there's just a pile of money sitting there ready to flood into this. But if that money's already flooding in, then that, then that doesn't get me as excited because we haven't seen a move. So I am curious to see, you know, is that money sitting there and coming in or do we need clarity before we get it? That's the one thing I'm watching and keeping my eye on apps. Absolutely. And I'd love to read just one quick sentence here because it made me laugh out loud when I was doing the research before the show. Fidelity has, has been a longtime crypto advocate now allowing retirees and those with 401ks in their names to use their hard-earned money to invest in digital assets like Bitcoin and Ethereum. This move caught a lot of people off guard and even made certain individuals, such as Democratic candidate for Massachusetts, Elizabeth Warren, very angry. So Elizabeth Warren was very angry that people were going to be making money without her approval, Johnny. <laughs> really quick, what do you think before I continue? Well, no, it sounds like they found some backdoor or some loophole that's going to allow you know people with 401ks to invest in it. I don't know exactly how. I know my 401k doesn't allow me to invest in it. So I would imagine there's maybe a small loophole that some can. But when I think they can open that door, of course, now we've got you know some senator from Massachusetts that's going to be all over this. It's going to be a while. But when they get through that whole fight you stage and it's done, to me, that's one of the floodgates that I was always counting on that was going to drive up and, and lift, you know, rise the high tide that raises all boats. Abs. You'll also get a secondary raise. You're going to get all the institutional money that wants exposure to this as well. That's going to come into this space. They've already said the big institutions said, no, we are not touching crypto right now because we can't afford to put billions into it. When 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 the head of the SEC can literally swipe that from them within minutes, they will not. You know, smart money is very very risk adverse. They will not put something in that's high risk. And until we get that clarity, we are always going to have that smart money. I think just sitting on the sidelines. Um, so the sooner we get it, the better. Apps. Absolutely. And Brad, there's two more stories I'd love to touch on. So if you're running out of time, just give me a thumbs up and we'll cut the show before I do. I have a tendency to go extra long on these Wednesdays, but I prepared a bunch of news and I'd love for you to address this. Google pushes forward into Web3 with a cloud startup program 
allowing companies like HBAR, Near Protocol, and Solana Foundations to offer grants to crypto endorsement companies. Now, we don't have too much time here, but I'd love to just highlight a couple of the things in this article. They're going to be receiving open grants to develop on these blockchains, and Hedera continues to be a name that evolves in these conversations. I'd like to just get your thoughts on Hedera overall. I don't know if you're familiar with Hedera. I actually can't remember. So if it's, this isn't something you're familiar with, we can move right on. But one of the things I continue to see Tech companies like IBM, Microsoft, and now Google Cloud are all open to building on Hedera. Does that get you excited? How do you feel about that project in particular? It does. Um, and, and, I, and I can't say that I could add much more than what you've highlighted, but I'm aware of what you highlighted. And look, as somebody who's early in, like when I hear those kind of relationships taking place, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to take a position on that, right? You know, <laughs> I'm not sure how it's going to work out, but uh, I know I'm going to take a position on it and I'm going to see how it works out, right? So uh, look, I guess one of the things, uh, and we've talked about this in, in my private group with tech like Hedera, we know it's still a ways off, but they're doing really incredible things. So one of the things you worry about being in on something early is like, am I in so early that, the tech misses because it's that early. And then three years later, some other company gets the momentum and the swing and they just kind of go. I mean, if you remember VHS tapes and beta tapes, beta was the better technology, but VHS won, right? Yeah. So, you know, and I'm not saying that, and I'm not trying to throw shade on HBAR. I have a position in HBAR, you know, and I'm not giving financial advice, but, you know, it's just that kind of a thing where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, take a position on that because they seem to be doing pretty remarkable things. They have incredible relationships so far. So it is something to watch, but I don't know how long before we actually see the real full application of what they're doing yet. Yeah. Yeah. Just to build on that. Um, you, you're so right there, Brad, when, when you look at these spaces and technology and how it works and the VHS beta thing is actually a very fascinating one. I absolutely even know what that is because he wasn't born when those were out there, but nonetheless, I love picking out his age, but you know, basically the reason why beta beta lost that in VHS one was because VHS was willing to have what we call open source. So anybody could create it where Sony said, no, no, it's just mine. And so that's the same thing that's going to happen here with crypto. The more of these cryptos that allow themselves to be open source, the higher probability of adoption abs, and they're going to take off. And what gets me excited about this article is I know there's one on there that, you know, I've been focused on and I've been stacking. And it's right there in the middle. I, I'm happy to see flow in there because I think, you know, the relationships that flow has and the money being part of Dapper Labs and Andrew uh, Adresen or whatever it is, there's a huge Andrew Horowitz. They're big, 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 big money in the flow. That's one of my favorite ones. So I'm happy. Like Brad says, we don't know which horses are going to win this race. That's why you got to have a bunch of horses. You get your stable, stock them all up, feed them some bitches, bring them to the water, let them drink. And then we'll see which ones win the race in the end. Uh, and we know some horses, unfortunately, are going to, well, I hate to say horses are going to die, but we know some of these cryptos aren't going to make it, right? So some of these horses aren't going to make it, but some of them will. You only need one or two to hit, and it's probably be, be life-changing abs. So stock up on your horses. Get your stables full in, in cryptos that you believe are future use cases while you have the opportunity now, while it's still early, and then you just set it and forget it, baby. Remember this is not financial advice, and none of us here are financial advisors. Absolutely, Johnny Crypto. And I want to remind our listeners, we're going to end this episode with an interesting conversation. 
Brad, you can barely find XRP on American exchanges today. And we had a very interesting video be released from the back CEO stating they had zero plans to list XRP in the future. I think it's a good time to just play maybe 30 seconds of this and have an open conversation about why so many people are, I guess, enemies of what Ripple is trying to do. So we're going to let this play and go back to Brad. Here we go. Can I ask what one digital currency is in particular, which is XRP, created by Ripple? Obviously, it's under some pressure right now from regulators. Coinbase has dropped it from its exchange. Does that currently support trading? It's not on our platform, no. Because of the controversies or for some other reason? It's just not on our platform. But there must be a reason. It's the third largest market cap cryptocurrency in the world. We entered the crypto space through Bitcoin, and that was the first currency we've made available. We have others that are scheduled to come on board as part of the product development, but um, XRP is not, not available. Is XRP one of those that are scheduled to come on at some point? Is it on the roadmap? No, it's not coming on at all. Johnny, one of our listeners said, I'm going to give my horse steroids. And I think that's what they're doing right here. They're annexing Ripple for a reason. They're, what's going to happen eventually is Ripple is going to get clarity in this in this case, or at least a resolution. And the average retail investor is going to feel that FOMO, say, where can I go and get my XRP? Well, you better go to Europe. You better go to South America. You better get out of America's jurisdiction. Because even when this thing pumps, you're hearing it from the head of exchanges. Coinbase was very willing to delist XRP, but when they went after Algorand, they're going to fight back. That speaks to a much larger agenda, Brad. So what do you think is going on here? Well, you know, look, you know, all of this is really like screaming to me because BAC has a huge integration to payments as a part of their platform. And you have to say to yourself, you know, why would you be so adamant about not involving yourself with the greatest payments platform on the planet currently right now? And listen, we know that central governments feel that way already, right? We know the Bank of England feels that way already. We know the Digital Pound Foundation, more than likely, the Digital Euro Association, right? The Faster Payments Council feels that way about what they offer. And, and, and keep going, Brad. Don't stop there. The list goes on, right? You know, I mean, the list goes on. So, you know, I have to wonder if this isn't one of those talking your book moments you know, kind of suppressing the thing that you know is going to be, you know, a real catalyst for back on the back end of what they offer. I would think, I mean, it's only a world exchange, the XRP ledger, right? It's only a decentralized world exchange that works extremely well, right? Very cost efficient, very secure and scalable, you know, uh, but then again, maybe it isn't. And I actually asked that CEO in a tweet, I said, you know, because I'm a back shareholder and and a, an XRP holder. And I was like, I'm asking for a few hundred thousand of my friends, you know, like, why not XRP? You know, I understand like what backed is going after. But here's the thing. Let us not forget that backed is owned by the Intercontinental Exchange, which is the parent company of the New York Stock Exchange. I do not find it coincidence that BACT has been absolutely silent like a lion in the bush and just waiting for all of the suppression and the vagueness and the lack of clarity to go away because I feel like when clarity comes, BACT is going to rise up out of the ashes and it's going to be like, we're here, we're compliant, right? Just like PolySign jumped up when the SEC came out about what custody needs to be. We're here, we meet every one of the things they said we had to meet. We were, we meet all the criteria. 
And I think BACT is going to make a move to be that integrative platform where you hold, get, buy, sell your assets with the proper custody and the proper this and that. And also be able to offer payments from your assets as well, because that's the world we're going to. Johnny, we saw it with Nexo when good companies that are trying to comply can't figure out a way to operate in the United States. They're forced to take their business overseas and backed. Maybe they're trying to avoid Brad. You know what? I'm going to play an advocate of backed here. And this is not what I believe. I want to preface that. But let's say they're, they're looking at the crypto market as a whole and they're saying, you know what, guys? This, this is the only project that if we get involved with right now or we make statements about right now that we are going to receive public backlash for, that we may have to deal with the SEC because of it. So maybe in the private conversations behind the scenes, they're protecting themselves to the public, but behind the scenes, they do understand what this technology really is, and they're just covering their butts, like Brad said. What do you think, Johnny? I'm not buying it. I think I actually think they're – I. <laughs> Sorry, you want the truth. I respect it. I I actually think that they're friends. I actually believe something a little different. I think they're buddy buddies with JPM. And we know what JPM thinks about XRP. And I think really that's what's really happening here is you've got sides. Sides have been picked. Lines have been drawn in the sand. And and I believe they're on that side. And I mean, he was pretty adamant. that not only do they not have it, but they ain't bringing it in either. Um, If it were me and it was something that um, I didn't want to bring it now because the lawsuit, I would probably say, no, we don't have it right now. We're waiting for clarity. We're, we'll bring it later, blah, blah, blah. But he just said, yes, Tony, sorry, Tony. Actually banned Tony a couple of days ago. Well, people were scamming Tony. It was uh, the thing moved so fast. I hate you by mistake. So thank you for coming back. We love you, brother. But um, the, uh, the, the the reality abs is here. There's, there's definitely, you've seen, sides have been picked in this thing. And and I think that's what that's what we're seeing here. And it's sad because Axios is one of the bigger, I think they're, they're a big bank too as well. So we definitely want to see that adoption there. And I would like, I hope you guys are right. I hope what Brad said is true. I hope at some point they come in, they go, hey, you know what? Here's one scenario that I think could happen. Right now, they could be very adamantly against it. But when the monkey comes off XRP's back and this thing's out there, if it gains adoption, like VHS did over beta, I think then they'll be like, oh, you're right. We have to play because one thing you don't want to do is get left in the sand or left in the dust. So when it surprised me, if XRP proves itself that then you see kind of like what you just saw, what happened with the, what the hell was the name of the guy that just said, Oh yeah, I want to see XRP win the case now. Right. All of a sudden. Oh, no, like, no. Yeah. Yeah. Now that all, all of a sudden now he's a fan of XRP because they're all, because they're in the same boat. I wouldn't be surprised if a similar thing happens. If, Two things need to happen. One, the monkey's got to come off the back. XRP's got to win the case. And two, they start to gain adoption. Then you're going to see, oh, everybody's going to be jumping on that band, that son bitch bandwagon. Like, they want to be part of it. That I can see happening, Abs. But not unless those two scenarios happen, in my in my opinion. And listen, I've been wrong plenty of times, so don't bank on me. Yeah, and if I could just add something to that really quickly here, with you know, talking about that, you know, understanding that the XRP ledger is a decentralized world exchange. The goal is to ultimately plug everything into it. It is to be the, you know, uh, uh, Expedia, the 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 kayak.com, you know, the 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 plug-in point for everything in the world to make a market. And when you think about the the new automated market makers that have been announced to the XRP ledger to cut out the arbitrage and to give you, in fact, the best price, no matter where it can source it from, everything that's fed into it, I start thinking to myself, you know, 
this is where it comes down to like Navin Gupta in my mind. Like we're here to make a dent in the universe or just go away. Right. Cause you know, it's a matter of how much liquidity are you going to get plugged into the, to that world exchange. Right. Is it going to be a five country exchange? Is it going to be the world exchange? Right. It's a, is it going to be just oil, just, you know, tokenized stock exchange? Is it going to be just crypto digital assets to fiat? It's everything. And that's what it's designed for. So at the end of the day, I, I feel like, you know, the XRP ledger adoption does what it does. And the functionality of like the recent automated market makers to cut out that arbitrage and to provide the best feeds, you know, for price and make markets, it by default, it is going to be a choice that people will make, even if they didn't, uh, if they weren't a fan of it in the front. Absolutely. And we're getting more validation here as we're about to close this episode out with a very interesting video. This is Evan Schwartz, the co-creator of Interledger, talking about how when they were approaching banks, banks were looking for Ripple to scale up to millions of transactions before they actually started using XRP's technology. I'll play this short clip and go back to Brad and Johnny. Here we go. Banks are, banks are very interested in, in adopting this. Basically, Ripple's been working with banks for um, two years now. And uh, part of where this where this, the idea for this came out of was banks were real, very interested in Ripple's technology, but said, um, you know, if we're interested in this, we want to see how this scales. So can we push millions of transactions uh, through this per second? Um, and then they were also concerned about privacy on a public ledger. Um, and so uh, as soon as we came out, so they had come to us with those concerns as we were as we were going to them and they were like, yeah, we're very interested in adopting your technology, but we have these two concerns. And then we came out with Interledger and they were like, yes, concerns solved. There you have it, Johnny. And that was back in 2018. So it's no surprise at all that regardless of what the SEC is doing, banks and institutions acknowledge that this technology is a massive upgrade to what they're using today. Just to close us out, how do you feel about this clip? Oh, I mean, I feel a lot better if this was, if that was done in 2023 and obviously before the 2020 breaking of bread or whatever happened there between JP Morgan and or JPM and Ripple, something went bad in that relationship. It seemed like they were all working towards a common solution until that point. So the question, the first question that hits my mind is, is this still valid today? Are banks still knocking on Ripple's door? Are they still testing their technology? Are they still looking to adopt it? You know, not to have a private ledger. I think, I think the fact that Ripple listened to what the concerns were, they got the input they needed, and be able to implement those things to move it forward is a great thing. And I think that's why you're seeing adoption of it throughout the rest of the world. But Abs, I've been saying it and I've been very consistent on this show. I want to see ripple adoption in the U.S. To me, that's ultimately going to be the, the true sign that, that it's a win. But I do want to address one thing and throw a question to Brad before we cut it. You know, people in here are saying, hey, if we win, we're going to get a $20, $20 XRP, you know, if the lawsuit ends this week. Brad. I don't know about you. I'm nowhere near $20, but I'm curious, you know, maybe for our fans, if you're willing to go on a limb here, do you think we're going to see a $20 XRP or what, what do you realistically think we're going to see if we do get a settlement this year? Well, you know, one of the things, a part of the success of my channel is I don't make predictions. I will cover other people making them all day long, right? Because they know more about charts than I do, right? And now what I will say is that I have done videos 
multiple videos over the career of covering, you know, Ripple XRP that I absolutely believe that XRP can reach astronomical numbers. I have never pretended to know when that is, but I do, however, suggest that it will not happen until, like Johnny mentioned, that we get U.S. adoption. It will not happen until we see something extremely important, which is a top-down approach. The internet was originally introduced through the government and military, and we have not seen that with this technology yet. In fact, we've seen the opposite adoption from grassroots, from people, startups, developers, which has been beautiful and amazing. But we are at that point now because it really speaks the forefront of this is the lack of clarity, right? The SEC, the suppression, the lack of legislation, all of these things. I think FSOC could play a role in getting some guidance and getting us to where we need to be. But ultimately, that top-down approach where we see the central banks adopt the value protocol like the XRP ledger for payments, where we see governments say uh, we are going to say that RippleNet is systemically important as a non-bank financial institution, but obviously a consortium of banks and financial partners that participate in payments, which can also utilize on-demand liquidity for settlement of XRP. You could see that kind of systemically important designation of those things, maybe even Ripple itself. And it has to change and look more like a lender of last resort. I don't know, but but what I do know is, is that this technology is extremely close to crossing a threshold where it has legal clarity. And it may just start with just the SEC versus Ripple over XRP. And if it does, I think then we have an opportunity to see a moment I've been waiting for for a long time, which is a top-down approach to governments, the militaries of the world, adopting a value protocol that can be trusted for being secure and efficient and scalable. Yeah, that makes total sense. When you looked at the internet, the same thing happened, right? The government usually takes the technology, develops it, pushes it out, and then everybody else grabs it. We have a really, really grassroots starting point, but you really do need government blessing. Uh, but what's your what's your thoughts, Brad, on the timing of that? Do you think it's two years, five years, 10 years? Just wondering if you have like a general idea of how long you think that government adoption in, in use of the technology will take overall. Well, I think it's a phase in adoption, just like mm. we've been seeing all along with Ripple and XRP. How many years have I been covering this thing now and watching it as an investor before even covering it on, on a channel? where you know you see it's ripple first then the asset ripple first then the use of the asset because it's a phase in operation and all the way we've been watching all of this happen as soon as we see ripple's involvement everybody it doesn't say xrp right doesn't say xrp they they're beating you up the whole way because they don't have the mind to understand business right yes we're speculating but Ripple's not in this to get their customers 40% savings when the use of the digital asset gives them 70. You know, it's like, it's asinine to think that, you know, they won't push to get their customers the full suite of products that give them the 100% complement of savings to their business model and what they're going to utilize it for. So look, I mean, for me, I think stablecoin legislation comes first. I think there's a great chance that you could see FSOC intervene in that stablecoin conversation. 
Um, and that legislation could come after FSOC intervenes, which is a regulatory body that's a prudential regulator that's made up of prudential regulators and market regulators, the Treasury, the Fed, the SEC, the CFTC, the OCC, the CFPB, I believe, is even in there. Uh, so, you know, the you know, all of this to say, you know, I don't think it's wise for me to try to predict when that moment will happen. But I see that moment coming. I see yeah. the moment for stable coins taking place before crypto. And I think crypto is the smallest part of this emerging digital asset class. It's the birth of it. But I think the larger part of this asset class, the digital asset class, is the tokenization of everything of value. And that's the moment we're going to head into as we get legislation and clarity. Yeah. That makes Absolutely. And Johnny, really quick, what, what one of these catalysts could be is as we see the banking system collapse before our eyes, coincidentally, blockchain is going to emerge as the inevitable solution. And we have a primary example of that right here as First Republic Bank stock is operating like a shitcoin, for lack of a better word. As in <laughs> April of 2022, it was $152 a share. Well, just 12 months later, this thing is performing worse than Dogecoin and Shiba Inu, sitting at less than $5 a share. That's a 96.75% decrease in only 12 months. And this is something we're becoming more familiar with in American markets. Regardless of if you have a billion-dollar stock or a billion-dollar portfolio, we are seeing the bandage be ripped off from the banking industry, and it's, calling, it's causing these massive collapse. So, Johnny, sorry to cut you off. I just thought that was a cool detail. Yeah, no, 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 no worries at all. That is, a, this is a scary thing to see. You know, a piece of the banking system collapse. You never want to see the infrastructure of the of the U.S. banking system collapse. It's never a good thing for anybody. Abs. So hopefully we we don't continue to see this. But I have a bad feeling we we might. I do agree with with Brad that I think you know the adoption has to start in steps, and that's what you want to be looking for those baby steps, right? First, we get the regularly clarity around a stable coin. And then maybe we get some clarity around, you know, what a cryptocurrency is. And then, you know, you'll see adoption and stronger adoption of blockchains into different technology. You're going to get CBDCs coming. You're really going to see this thing. I think it's building blocks one after the other after the other. And it's probably going to take it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be many, many years, in my opinion, I think, before we see it happen. But the nice thing is we're in early. Make sure you have an exit plan. Make sure you sell some and take some profits, but bring some bags with you into the future. Because I really, really think, I mean, you guys all know my story in Amazon 1997, right? <laughs> 20 years later, it was $3,300 from 17. So it takes a long time to get there, folks, but it certainly can happen. Brad, we got 498 live listeners joining us. Show us some love and tap that like button. That way the algorithm can pump this out to as many uh, listeners as possible. Somebody asked an important question. It said, how do you guys, how many guys think the dollar is going to last until 2025? This is an important question because everyone's talking about the dollar collapsing, Brad. And I don't think it's it's somebody who doesn't understand the market may ask that question because I think what we're going to see is not a dollar uh, absolute collapse, but instead we're going to see a slow dissension of the use of the U.S. dollar throughout global markets. And four or five years from now is when we're really going to see the impact. So we're not going to wake up in November of this year and say, oh, my God, the dollar has no value. But we could wake up in 2026 and say, OK, the dollar is way less valuable compared to the euro, the one or whatever digital asset they decide to adopt. So sorry, just any brief thoughts there, Brad? No, I, I think you make a good point. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, my the work I've done to understand like global reserve currencies and how long they live, the natural life, life expectancy of a global reserve currency that is also a national currency is about 94 years. 
Now, we're a little more than 70-some years into the U.S. dollar's role as a global reserve currency. So when I think of that, this is the moment that they should be preparing for how to deal with that transition that's coming over the next 10 to 15 years. And when I think of that, you know, obviously, I think XRP has a really, really great chance to serve as a bridge currency, but not only at the end goal, but at the transition to the end goal, because as a bridge currency, it can complement the system and help deal with the spillover shocks of the de-dollarization campaign as you incorporate this I believe XRP starts out as a payment token before it can become a global reserve asset, right? Bridge asset. But I mean, in order to do that, you got to start somewhere and you start with remittance companies, a few CBDCs, and it starts building and building and building. And I think ultimately we know where it's going and it works. It has worked for many years, more than a decade now. And I believe it is one of the few projects in this space that actually does what it says it could do. Absolutely. Yeah, just just, Go ahead, just build, building on that, Abs, I, I, this is one area where I do agree with you. I don't think this is a flip of the switch and we wake up and tomorrow the dollar's gone and bread costs $10 million to buy a loaf of bread, you know, that kind of inflation. I don't see that happening. This will be exactly what you showed if you could pull that chart back up again. You see the natural, if you had those chart of the three curves, if you could, yeah, there it is. You know, if, if you can zoom in on that, basically what you're seeing is, is Brad said, it's a transitionary period. You could see the U.S. has been through its its, its uh, bubble phase and now we're on the way down, passing the baton over to China. China will be the next world power and the yuan will be probably the leading currency. I think it'll be a basket of currencies, though. I don't know if it'll be a single one anymore. I don't know. I have no idea. But I do agree with you guys that it's going to be one of those things where you're just going to see rather than this kind of switch of the flip. And, you know, for flash apps like to say switch of the flip, uh, we'll, we won't see a million dollar loaf of bread price, but we will see bread going, you know, slowly, gradually from whatever the hell it is today, five dollars a loaf to six dollars a loaf to seven. And next thing you know, you know, a year, two, three years from now, loaf might be twelve dollars a loaf because what's happening and the, the fundamentals behind what's happening right now, abs in the shift is countries are slowly dropping the dollar. You already see, like, we used to be 70% of the world reserve currency using using the uh, countries holding on to the dollars. That number has dropped, I think I saw yesterday, around 55%. So as those dollars drop, what happens is more dollars are coming back home. And what happens when you have too much supply and not enough demand? You know what happens, right? So that's the problem. We're going to have too many dollars in float because countries aren't going to need them anymore as the BRICs come up with a new currency situation or they're trading in gold or changing in their own thing, you had just have too many dollars printed and no longer a use for those dollars when they were printed, right? Cause you have everybody needing it. Now you're only going to need Americans, you know, pretty much the U S will need it in the future when it's the thing, when it's no longer world reserve and those dollars, there's going to be too many dollars here. So unless they take them and put them on a train and burn all those dollars, we're going to be, we're going to have serious, serious uh, inflation at some point in time. Brad, you know, it's a bigger problem that we're and I'd love to kick it back to you here, but a bigger problem that the American public doesn't seem to talk about since 2020 alone, we have over four trillion U.S. dollars that are completely unaccounted for. That means that politicians, bankers, whoever you'd like to blame, four trillion dollars is just lost within our economy. And that's just since 2020. I'm sure if you drew all the way back to when Rumsfeld gave his speech in 2001, that was $2 trillion on that day alone. And if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. So, Brad, 
I'd love to just give you the open floor here. If you'd like to address what Johnny said, feel free. If not, I do have a closing article to show. Well, I just I just want to add to the point that Johnny was making and to the diagram that you were just showing is that, you know, something else I had I had learned, too, is like just looking back at when the pound sterling was the global reserve currency. And then after World War Two, the dollar took over. There was a period of like 12 or 15 years there where there was a co competition between these currencies. Right. And other currencies that were trying to make a go at it. Right. Um, but I think what's important to understand is that the U.S. dollar had been working for decades before that to be able to be in a position to challenge the role of the pound at that time. Right. And due to the war and the circumstances and having the most gold at that time, you know, obviously it put them in a position to be able to, to take that role. But I, I think just speaking to the money that's been printed, the situations we're seeing, the bank runs we're watching take place. There's a lot of there's a lot of headwinds in front of us. And I do believe that transition period will be a competition between a multipolar asset world. And if you have something like XRP that serves as a bridge currency, what better way or moment of time for it to really serve its purpose and intent than in a multipolar asset world that I believe we are moving to? Well, Brad, the sky might not be falling, but the U.S. dollar clearly is. As breaking news out of China this morning, the Chinese yuan has overtaken the U.S. dollar for the most used currency in China's cross-border transactions for the first time in human history. Brad, open floor, my friend. I know we've talked about this for five minutes now, but this is breaking news. What do you think? Well, it is breaking news, and that is something to see there. And, you know, again, you know, this is where you start wondering, like, you know, okay, at what point does some of the momentum here become a national security risk or issue that where they have to act on it to begin to put things in place. And obviously you don't want to act out of haste, right? You know, you want to, you want to act and move with a sense of purpose, right? And urgency, but with a sense of purpose and clarity about what your actions are. But I think when things like this happen and pop up, it really starts saying to myself, you know, in a modern digital age, we may not have to wait 10 to 15 years for a transition. <laughs> we have the technology now where you could condense that moment inside of an eight year time frame. Right. So, you know, it is the door is open here. The door is open. And I think this just heightens the conversation for for a government like the United States to take action to to mediate this uh, measure. Johnny, one of our listeners said abs for president 2032. That's the first time anyone's ever told me I should run for president, but I'll only do it if Johnny Crypto agrees to be my vice president. So Johnny, are you going to be my vice president or are you fearful of what could happen? It sounds like uh, Bush Cheney 2000 there where they had the old man as the vice <laughs> president. It was like, you know what, abs, I'll tell you this. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Abs, you get my vote. I would definitely vote for you, and I'll be happy to be your vice president if I'm still alive. Thank you. Thank you. And I know Brad's already going to give us that support. But, guys, we got 512 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. I don't want to take too much more of Brad's time, but you brought it up yourself, Brad. People talk about ODL. Let's just listen to Brad Garlinghouse. 19 seconds. Is XRP used in Ripple's ODL system? Yeah, well, well over half of our total transaction volume because we do have a fiat and xrp enabled product called on-demand liquidity over half of all of our transactions go through xrp now 
over. There's your answer right there. So a lot of people go to the claim immediately. Ripple's ODL system can settle in any currency. Well, of course, they're going to be incentivized to not only use the best currency, but the currency they're holding nearly 50 billion tokens in. So, Brad, just to close us out on the episode today, first of all, where can people find more of your content? If there's tickets available, let them know where they can find those as well. Uh, well, first of all, you want to watch the channel, you can do it at digperspectives.com uh, or, or on the website or on the YouTube channel at Digital Perspectives. And if you're looking for a web ticket for XRP Las Vegas, you can go to xrp-lasvegas.com and get your web ticket, which will shut the door on that. So make sure you absolutely get that for sure. If you want to see cats like Abs and Johnny and Coach JV and uh, John Deaton, Eleanor Tarrant, Jeremy Hogan virtually, Jack McDonald as well. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, I literally cannot sit here. The Casino Coin guys, Sologenic. I mean, Uphold CEO is going to be there. Have I told you this? Uphold CEO is coming. Uphold's chief product officer, Nancy Beaton, is going to be there. The CEO, Robin O'Connell, is going to be there. Uh, You know, this is going – and Uphold, by the way, balls of steel. Yeah. Never took XRP off of there. I mean – Mad love and respect for Uphold. I got news for you. It's going to be amazing. They're going to break some news while they're out there, too. Thank you for bringing that up there, Abs. And Johnny Crypto, you know what's another interesting thing is we always criticize the people who aren't doing us a favor by taking XRP off of their exchange or being critical of the XRP lawsuit. We got to show some people some love who are doing the right things in this market. And Uphold is one of those companies that's allowed people like us to access XRP through this entire SEC debacle. So I'm not even sure why I said that. But Brad Kimes, Johnny, any closing thoughts here? No, you're spot on. Yeah, no, you're spot on. There's no question about it that uh, Uphold has been a champion in the U.S. anyway for for the XRP Army. It's one of the only places you could get it legitimately. BitTrue has also been a place. But just wrapping up here to the conference, I want to just commend Brad for what he's done here. You know, guys, if you haven't gotten your web ticket, definitely get out there and and go get get your your web ticket here for May, uh, May 6th is the event. Uh, you can get the ticket right here, as Brad said, xrp-lasvegas.com. Come out and check it out. I think there's going to be a, a ton of exciting information, the agenda, all the lineup, the speakers. And more importantly, at events like this, what I find to be the most important thing is just the networking, the ability to run in and meet new people, to be able to share ideas with like-minded individuals. That alone is worth it. So if you got your ticket there and you're there, kudos to you. If you didn't, you know, get the get the get the get the uh, the web version. At least you can still hear all the content, and you're going to learn a lot of good things. And Brad, thank you so much for letting us be part of it. We're excited to be a part of it as you're changing the game here and creating an XRP uh, Miami or maybe XRP Vegas, whatever we call it. But good for you. Kudos to you. I know what it takes to do things like this. It's a heavy lift whenever you're leading something. So I just want to give you a pat on the back and kudos for making this happen. And looking forward to seeing you in a week, my friend. Johnny, uh, look, I, I really greatly appreciate your words. You know what I mean? I'm attacked every day for doing something, trying to do something nice for the community. You know what I mean? And I really do take it to heart. It means a lot to me. And I have made a decision that we're not going to just put on a conference. We're going to put on an undeniable conference. And it will be the kind of conference, whether you see it from home or whether you see it there in person, you are not going to miss another one. Because I do not take for granted the people that watch your show or watch my show. They take time out of their day. We all only have 24 hours a day, right? 
And when you give a little bit of your time to me, I'm not going to waste it. And I tell you, we're going to make it a very, very special day for everybody that's been in this space. So thank you so much, guys. I appreciate you having me. And shout out to Coach JV as well. Amazing, Brad. We look forward to collaborating again. And of course, we look forward to being together at XRP Las Vegas. But guys, we got 467 live listeners joining us. If you enjoyed this show, show us some love, smash that like button, and we'll see you guys in 23 hours. Like we always say, Warriors, rise! Get your shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us. Let's go. Let's go.